If you watch cable news, you will no doubt be familiar with one of the bedrock principles of conventional wisdom. Bernie Sanders is unelectable. Yeah, I've heard that. Is it true? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. <laughs> That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle. Oh, they're everywhere. Yes, I'm stuck in the from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, New Orleans, WHIV. In Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. In Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin on WADR. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day for you on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker. And all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, yeah, we will get to that bit of uh, conventional wisdom about the electability or unelectability of Bernie Sanders in a bit. We will also, well, one thing, one thing we won't do, I think, today, for the most part, is uh, talk about impeachment and the impeachment trial taking a pause on that. Yes, it does kind of have the feel of for the, the calm day. before the storm. Yes, it does, know? as we uh, await that uh, trial to begin in the U.S. Senate in earnest on Tuesday after the Martin Luther King Day holiday. Although there was some news, and I don't even know if this is confirmed or not, I don't even know what to believe anymore, but uh, Ken Starr, apparently, will be a... Uh, defense attorney for uh, the White House in the uh, in the uh, in the Senate in impeachment Senate trial impeachment yeah trial. that reportedly uh, both uh, Ken Starr the former Clinton impeachment special prosecutor was he uh, he was the guy behind the impeachment of Bill Clinton and who said that he needed to be removed from office for lying about sex but now he's somehow going to defend Donald Trump. Let's yes. see if we have uh, any, uh, do we have Donald Trump's opinion about Ken Starr? Yes, we do. I think Ken Starr is a lunatic. I really think that Ken Starr is a disaster. Uh, I hated the way the president handled it. It was a long and terrible process. I, I really think that Ken Starr was terrible. So Ken Starr was terrible, according to Donald Trump. Yep. So terrible that he's now hiring him to be on his defense team for his own impeachment. <laughs> right? There really is a tweet or a video for everything. <sighs> there is. All right. Well, like I said, we're going to give that a break today. You're welcome. Libby Dankman at LAist.com has an excellent piece today on the new Los Angeles County voting system that we have been reporting on all week. 
as it is about to be certified by the Secretary of State unless something happens. We've been reporting on that in great detail this week and actually for many months and years before it. But now uh, other people out here in Los Angeles are beginning to notice. So I'm very happy. Very happy that uh, Dankman is one of them. She uh, does a great job in this piece. She follows up. It's a follow-up on her scoop that we talked about earlier this week as well, that the city of Beverly Hills here in Los in L.A. County has voted to explore a lawsuit against Los Angeles County's new $300 million completely unverifiable touchscreen ballot marking device voting system that is set for use, uh, first-time use across the county during the Super Tuesday primaries on March 3rd. Great time to shake it out. Take it out for a spin. See if there's any problems. See if there's any bugs. Nothing real big. Not a big, important election. Not big turnout no, or anything like nothing that. nothing to worry about. I'm sure it'll all go fine. Uh, despite the fact that independent testers hired by the Secretary of State's office, as we broke earlier in the week, found more than 40 violations of California voting system standards when they tested these machines during the certification process. Some of these uh, violations critical that uh, could allow a bad guy to overwrite the entire system, to change passwords, to steal voting data, to steal actual ballots, by the way. These uh, computer-marked paper ballots that these touchscreens uh, print out. But since Secretary of State Alex Padilla has himself been pushing for this new system for years and now has the power as Secretary of State to approve it, despite the failures to meet California standards, that, by the way, is thanks to a bill that was written and sponsored by then-State Senator Alex Padilla, because of that, it will likely be certified, despite its many failings that uh, Libby Dankman writes about today in her article at The LAist, uh, which is at LAist.com, headlined, L.A.'s new voting system is still uncertified. Why election security experts are worried. She gives a, a great overview of how we got here, why L.A. County Registrar Dean Logan wanted this type of a system, despite the warnings from cybersecurity experts calling for hand-marked paper ballots. He has been developing this system for 10 years, which I know because I was at the first meeting for it, warning precisely the same things that I'm still warning today about this system as some of those uh, election security experts are now finally beginning to join me in uh, in the same concerns. And she covers some of the failures discovered in the certification process and why these experts now are so concerned about them. I will link to it when I uh, when I post the show tonight at bradblog.com. It's an excellent read if you want to know what the hell is going on and what the hell Los Angeles County is thinking. But on that uh, potential lawsuit that she reported about earlier in the week by Beverly Hills City Council, uh, and, and frankly, any candidate at this point who ends up being listed fifth or later in the ballot rotation uh, placement on these systems here in L.A. if they are certified, they have every reason to be furious. We explained yesterday the concerns of the Beverly Hills City Council members about the fact that this system only shows four candidates on the touchscreen at a time. If there are more than four in the race, people have to hit a more button to see them, to see those candidates, which, by the way, that button 
just happens to sit right next to the next button that would take voters to the next race. So a voter may never know that there were other candidates to choose from, which is insane. And it seems to me grounds for a lawsuit at worst and grounds for a whole bunch of disgruntled voters at best if their candidate, let's say Bernie Sanders, draws the fifth position on the ballot in the March 3rd Super Tuesday primary in L.A. when these systems will be used for the first time. Did I mention this is a $300 million system and that has been developed for 10 years, that they could not figure this out in advance to avoid a potential disaster like this? It'll be rolled out for the first time, as I said, for uh, five and a half million voters out here in Los Angeles County. So on that point, on this uh, Beverly Hills issue that they may sue, and I hope they do, even if it may be too late, uh, received an email to bradcast at bradblog.com following yesterday's program from Bill, an election advocate up in Northern California, who writes, are they friggin' stupid? (laughs) Why would they even give the option to click next before the voter sees all the candidates for the current race? If I was designing it, I would make sure the voter had to see all of the candidates before they could move on to the next race. If they had to have the option, then the next button should at least have a warning if there were more candidates on the current race, something like, quote, you are about to leave the Democratic presidential candidate race without seeing all of the candidates. Are you sure you want to leave this race? Or some other kind of descriptive warning. Bill says the California Democratic Party Central Committee candidates will not like this either, especially since some of those races have 20 to 30 candidates. Cheers, Bill. Thank you, Bill. Excellent points. Too bad you weren't on the design team down here in Los Angeles, where apparently they could use some help. (laughs) Yeah, apparently they could. And remember, no matter where you are, uh, Dean Logan, the registrar of voters down here in Los Angeles County, wants to sell these systems to everybody across the country. He does. And I I know for years there's a lot of uh, jurisdictions around the country who are waiting, watching very closely what's going on here in Los Angeles because they would like to pick up this system, which, by the way, is supposed to be an open source system. So I don't know if they have to buy it, per se, from L.A., That said, this open source system that we have been promised for years in Los Angeles, good luck finding that uh, open source. It's not available. It has uh, not been released. Nobody has seen it other than the developers of the system. So, you know, so much Open source in name only. Yes, in spirit. It's open source in spirit. We have been urging folks to write before the public comment period ends on the certification of these systems to the uh, Secretary of State out here. The address, if you'd like to uh, leave public comment on these systems, it's almost your last chance, is votingsystems at sos.ca.gov. The public comment period ends at 5 p.m. Pacific time on Monday, January 20. That is the Martin Luther King Day holiday. So spread the word. Voting systems at sos.ca.gov. You can also uh, call them, although they'll probably be gone for the holiday. But uh, the phone number uh, is 916-695-1689. 
That's 916-695-1680 if you'd like to ring in on whether these systems should be certified or not. And by the way, if they're not certified, I don't know what we're going to do. We are just weeks away now from the uh, beginning of early voting out here in Los Angeles for the Super Tuesday election when California will be voting along with about another dozen other states in this uh, huge Democratic primary race. But anyway, I'm glad to see that some of the uh, local media outlets are finally beginning to pay attention after we've been yelling yelling and screaming about it for years. I was explaining what these concerns were to a uh, local uh, TV news outlet today, a reporter who contacted me. So hopefully they are covering it. Again, whether it'll be in time to stop the certification or not, I don't know. But maybe it'll be in time to warn people that, hey, this is a great year to get a vote-by-mail ballot instead of voting at these new voting centers where they're rolling out this uh, $300 million boondoggle. And I oppose, I'm not a fan of vote-by-mail, but in this case, it's your only chance, potentially, to be able to vote on a hand-marked paper ballot. So if you want one of those, you'll need to request one from uh, in Los Angeles here. You contact lavote.net and let them know, and let them know which party's uh, primary you would like to vote in if you are not already registered for a party. And that's good advice no matter where you are in the country. When you you find out, uh, look up and find out what kind of method or what kind of system your county is going to be using for you to vote in these primaries and in the crucial November election. And if you have to, get vote by mail so you may vote by hand on paper, a hand-marked paper ballot. In other words, you will have to if you are forced to vote on a touchscreen system at your polls. Uh, And this stuff really does matter and uh, get that vote by mail ballot and then deliver it in person to the polling place uh, if you can. I know you can out here in California. Elsewhere, you need to check to make sure that's allowable. But out here in California, you definitely can fill it out by hand, deliver it in person. The best chance of maximizing uh, your chances of having your vote counted and counted accurately. All right. Speaking of Bernie Sanders and his supporters, who will be none too happy if he is number five or later on the L.A. County ballot, I promise you, even if he would have lost anyway, by the way. You're just handing these people, you're handing supporters of various candidates a reason to be furious and to hate democracy and to have less confidence in it than they already do. As I was trying to explain to a local reporter. Anyway, uh, speaking of Bernie Sanders, you may have heard the argument that he and or Elizabeth Warren are unelectable against Donald Trump because they're just so progressive. And therefore, someone like Joe Biden would be a much, much safer bet in uh, in the primaries. Well, maybe, maybe not. I will be joined momentarily by a guest who challenges that pundit-driven assumption that uh, folks like Sanders and Warren are unelectable with some actual, you'll like this, Desi Doyen, facts. Ooh, facts? Numbers. Data? Statistics. Neat. Science, yes. Richard Hayes Phillips joins me for that momentarily after a quick break and some related stuff underscoring the fact that right now when it comes to the uh, when it comes to the election, even when it comes to impeachment, nobody knows nothing. At least we admit it here on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman, don't touch that dial.
Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. Don't know much about history Don't know much biology Don't know much about a science book Don't know much about the French I took But I do know that I love you And I know that if you you love me too What a wonderful world Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Yeah, nobody knows much about nothing right now. Nobody knows nothing. Nobody. Sure, a lot of people are paid to go on TV or write opinion columns in which they pretend to know what's going on and what will go on. But I got to tell you, especially in this era of Donald Trump, nobody knows nothing. They'll tell you that, for example, Trump can't be removed via these now ongoing impeachment trials in the Senate. They may end up being right, but they're just guessing. They're just making it up. They have no clue how the recent bombshell revelations, for example, from Lev Parnas will affect this trial or the potential trial testimony of John Bolton or any particular new outburst that happens from Donald Trump, how that might affect his fortunes in this historic trial going forward. They are just guessing based on pack journalism, their best read of conventional wisdom, basically what everybody else thinks, which has always been wrong before. Just ask President Donald Trump. That same point should be kept in mind as voters begin heading to the polls now in just over two weeks when you'll hear pundits punditizing about the 2020 presidential contest and the Democratic primary. In truth, nobody knows nothing. Conventional wisdom, for example, which should always be questioned, presumes that military voters and veterans, they are strong supporters of Donald Trump. Well, really? Did that conventional wisdom come before or after today's most popular story on Apple News coming from uh, Washington Post's Carol Lenig and Phil Rucker detailing how Donald Trump repeatedly berated U.S. military leaders while throwing a massive fit during a Pentagon meeting back in 2017? An excerpt from the from the new book a very called A Very Stable Genius, Donald J. Trump's Testing of America. In the book, Lenig and Rucker describe how Trump's meeting with the uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs, uh, General Joseph Dunford, and other top military officials in July of 2017, a meeting that was arranged with then-Secretary of State Rex Tillerson, then-Secretary of State 
uh, of Defense, James Mattis, and then National Economic Council Director Gary Cohn went completely off the rails. Trump started complaining in this meeting at the Pentagon about the, quote, loser war in Afghanistan and demanded to know, quote, where is the effing oil? that he felt the U.S. deserved from Afghanistan for its military presence in the Persian Gulf. You're all losers, he told them. You don't know how to win anymore. He also demanded that countries around the world pay the U.S. for our troop presence in their country as if the U.S. military was a band of mercenaries for sale. Trump became so angry at one point that he bellowed to the commanders in a fit of rage, quote, I wouldn't go to war with you people. You're a bunch of dopes and babies. Everyone apparently in the room was shocked. According to this report, Trump's attack was apparently uh, then Secretary of State Tillerson's breaking point. He stood up and said, no, that's just wrong, Mr. President. You're totally wrong. None of that is true. The Secretary of State asserted that those who join the military don't do it to become soldiers of fortune. That's not why they put on uniform a uniform and go out and die, he said. They do it to protect our freedom. In a private conversation uh, after the meeting with Economic Director Cohn and Secretary of Defense Mattis, Tillerson let loose that infamous, now infamous comment about uh, Trump that would get leaked to the press months later. He's an effing moron, the secretary of state said at the time. It was after that meeting where Donald Trump was calling his generals losers and babies. Well, that's a huge story today. Will the berating of men in uniform go over well with the troops and the veterans who are supposedly so much behind Donald Trump? Well, maybe, maybe not. Conventional wisdom should be questioned. And while we don't put too much confidence in polling numbers around here, this one came out just before the end of the year, and I think it may be of note. It's the annual poll of active duty troops by the Military Times, and I think it's quite telling. The new Military Times survey of active duty troops reveals that Donald Trump's favorability among service members continues to slide since the initial polling uh, back in uh, 2016, half of active duty military personnel contacted in the poll held an unfavorable view of Donald Trump, while half viewed him un unfavorably. More than 45 percent viewed him as very unfavorably. Trump's 42 percent approval rating in that poll that was conducted from October to the beginning of December Sets his lowest mark in the survey since being elected president. They say by comparison, just a few weeks after his electoral victory in November of 2016, 46% of troops surveyed had a positive view and only 37% had a negative opinion. Now that's up to uh, almost half. This poll surveyed uh, more than 1,500 active duty Military Times subscribers. When asked about Trump's handling of military issues, nearly 48 percent of troops said that they had an unfavorable view of that part of his job compared to just 44 percent who believed he has handled it well. That's a significant drop, they note, from just the 2018 Military Times poll when 59 percent said they were happy with his handling of military issues and just 20 percent had an unfavorable review. 
In the time since that 2018 poll, Trump has fired his popular former defense secretary, you know, that loser and baby Marine Corps General Jim Mattis. He ordered a controversial and sudden withdrawal of U.S. forces from Syria. He became the subject of impeachment hearings in the House over the delay of military assistance funding to Ukraine. And also in the days just before the poll closed in December, Trump made a controversial decision to grant clemency to three warfighters who were accused of war crimes. That was opposed by many military leaders at the Pentagon. And since it came out, since this poll came out, he brought U.S. forces to the brink of World War III with his assassination of an Iranian general. And all of that was before today's Washington Post story describing him calling his generals as losers and babies. So uh, 58 percent of those polled here said that they disapproved of Trump's decision to withdraw U.S. forces from northern Syria in the face of Turkish military advances. Fifty nine percent said they disapprove of Trump's decision to use military construction funds to build his southern border wall. More than half rated current U.S. relations with traditional allies like NATO as poor. Forty seven percent, by the way, said they back impeachment. 46 percent said they were opposed, but that means a thin plurality of the armed forces, at least according to this poll, would like to see their own commander in chief impeached. That's a subtle shift towards more service members identifying as political independents who now make up 45 percent of respondents. That's an uptick from 2018 and an increase in the number of Democrats, along with a decrease in the number of self-identified Republican or Libertarian members in the armed forces since the 2018 survey. So members of the military will be Trump supporters this November. Are you sure about that? I would not count on it, despite what you will hear from Trump and the Republicans, because, in fact, nobody knows nothing. Similarly, nobody knows nothing about how the primary elections are going to go right now, with at least four front runners sort of all bunched up at the top of recent polling. That would be Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren and Pete Buttigieg, as we are now just two weeks from the first actual votes being cast at the Iowa caucuses with a bunch of pundits telling us who can and can't beat Donald Trump this November. Most frequently, you hear from these geniuses that a Democratic candidate like Bernie Sanders, a Democratic socialist, after all, is unelectable. Today at CNN.com, for example, for example, former Republican congressman Charlie Dent very helpfully tells us that Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren cannot possibly be elected in a general elect uh, in a general election. In his opinion piece headlined Iowa race is still a jump ball. Well, at least that part is true. Dent, a moderate Republican who retired from Congress when it became clear that he could not win in an ungerrymandered Pennsylvania district, he wants you to know that, quote, Warren and Sanders are still pretending their Medicare for all plans add up. Combined with free college, free child care, the Green New Deal, a ban on fracking and the manufacture of pharmaceuticals by the federal government, these two candidates, in their lust to secure the support of progressive voters, turn off independent and swing voters who would appreciate some measure of restraint and have no desire for a revolution. 
He writes, Pennsylvania voters and those in critical swing states like Michigan and Wisconsin will not respond well to the Sanders-Warren brand of progressive politics. When a bright light is shown on the costs and impacts of their proposals on working Americans, voters looking for an alternative to Trump's exhausting behavior and disruptive politics will not likely embrace these extreme proposals from the far left that offend their sensibilities and threaten their economic self-interests. But here's the thing. He's just making that up. He knows nothing. He feels that way. He may be right, but he also may be wrong. But there are actual facts and numbers and stuff that we can use to try to discern the difference between punditry and what is actually known to be true. Writing at Bradblog.com today, historian and election integrity expert Richard Hayes Phillips offers a statistics-based response to the charge that Bernie Sanders is, quote, unelectable, as many of those pundits, both Republican and Democratic, seem to enjoy arguing quite a bit these days, especially as Sanders continues to rise in the polls of late, as he is the current apparent frontrunner now in both Iowa and New Hampshire, if you believe those polls. Richard Hayes Phillips writes today, uh, four years after 2016, when many voters went for Trump in hopes of burning it all down, that some have suggested we should shy away from Sanders on the grounds that he simply cannot beat Donald Trump. But based on actual existing hard numbers that we can examine, writes Richard, he is certainly not unelectable as some critics have charged. Having run for president in 2016, Richard writes, Bernie is the only Democratic candidate with a recent track record in presidential politics that can actually be used as a yardstick, unlike several several of the other current frontrunners like Elizabeth Warren or Pete Buttigieg. So Richard decided to take a look at what the raw numbers tell us about Bernie Sanders' electability against Donald Trump, adding the caveat that this all, of course, could change when full-throated attacks are unleashed against him as they inevitably will be against whoever wins the Democratic nomination. Joining us now is Richard Hayes Phillips, Ph.D. He is an an historian, election fraud investigator with a long-established and well-earned reputation. After the 2004 presidential election in Ohio, he spearheaded an effort to his effort to gather actual forensic evidence from that contested race, personally examining and analyzing Ballots, some 126,000 ballots, 127 poll books, 141 voter signature books, ballot accounting charts, voter registration lists, purge lists and other election records from 18 different counties among Ohio's 88 counties. And that resulted in his book, Witness to a Crime a citizen's audit of an American election. He's also now of late a semi-regular contributor of, you know, fact-based articles and stuff at bradblog.com. Dr. Phillips, welcome back to the Bradcast, sir. Thank you for having me. <laughs> uh, it has been a while, so I'm glad you're here, and uh, I'm glad you're uh, contributing a number of uh, Just the Facts, ma'am, articles uh, at uh, bradblog.com of late. So based on the numbers uh, that you plowed through, and we'll point folks to your article at bradblog.com for details, it seems that you think the argument that America could not elect a Bernie Sanders is 
bunk, at least based on the actual available hard data you looked at? Well, I can't predict the future and say who will win, but he is certainly electable. Where would you like me to begin? Well, that's a good question. Let's start at, uh, essentially, you you run through five sort of statistic-based reasons in making your case. Let's run through them without going too deep into the weeds. Uh, You first argue that Sanders and Trump pretty much got the same number of votes during the 2016 primaries. Uh, how, How good of a yardstick is that? Richard, given that Trump ran against like 15 opponents while the Democratic primary was largely between just Bernie and Hillary back in 2016. Well, I wouldn't uh, trust that if it were the only evidence. But uh, remember that the Republican field was down to five by Super Tuesday. Mm-hmm. But yes, Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump got almost exactly the same number of votes in their respective primaries in 2016 which certainly shows that Sanders is competitive, so let's go on from there. Okay, let's go on. You also look at the so-called blue wall states of uh, uh, Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota, uh, Pennsylvania, and even Ohio and uh, Iowa specifically, where guys like Charlie Dent uh, say that someone like Sanders could never win and where Hillary Clinton appears to have lost the electoral college in the general election in 2016. What can we learn about Sanders' 2016 primary performance Uh, in those states to inform us about how he might perform in 2020? Well, Michael Moore was asked the same question a few days ago, and he said Bernie Sanders won Minnesota, and he won Wisconsin, and he won Michigan. These would be in primaries against Hillary Clinton. And throughout the blue wall, also including Iowa and Ohio and Mm -hmm. Pennsylvania, uh, he carried the great majority of rural counties as well. Mm Mm-hmm running very well in places where Hillary Clinton was routed by Donald Trump. Uh, These are the states where the election is likely to be decided. But aren't those people who voted for Bernie Sanders uh, over Hillary Clinton, while I'm sure some are Bernie Sanders supporters, isn't it true that many of them could have just been voting for Bernie because they hated Hillary Clinton so much? And uh, once she was... uh, you know, became the, the, the nominee that those same people just ended up voting for the Republican, Trump in this case, as they planned to do in the first place? I don't know if I agree with the last clause of that sentence. I know people who hated Hillary Clinton so much that they supported Bernie Sanders in the primary mm-hmm. and would have preferred Trump to Clinton in the general election, though they actually voted for Gary Johnson. Mm. But uh, I've already forgotten the last clause of your sentence. I'm sorry. Uh, but I, I was saying that they hated him so much that they were going to vote for uh, a Republican anyway, oh, right, no matter right, who right. won the Democrat. Uh, in a lot of in a lot of these states, uh, it, it's a state option whether or not independent voters can vote at all in a primary, or mm-hmm. whether they can vote in either one, or whether voters can cross over as mm-hmm. they can in Wisconsin. I really don't think that in states where you have to have been registered in a political party Mm -hmm. for a substantial period of time in order to vote in that party primary, I I have a difficult time believing that a lot of these Democrats actually preferred Donald Trump. In New York State, you had to have registered Democrat by October Mm -hmm. to be able to vote in the Democratic primary. The people in New York State who voted for Bernie Sanders in the primary may have done it 
partly because they disliked Hillary Clinton, but I seriously doubt that Trump was their first choice. Well, of course, that was in New York. I mean, if you focus on uh, you focus on the states of Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, Iowa, North Carolina, Florida and cite the rural counties where Sanders won like crazy and then Clinton ended up losing, uh, picking up just one or two, maybe at best, of those counties in those various states. Your argument here is that uh, that is evidence that Bernie Sanders will likely win those rural counties or that he could win those counties? No, well, he'll win some of them because some of them were close. Mm -hmm. Some of those were counties that went for Obama and then went for Trump. And Bernie might win those counties back. But that's not really the issue. Politics is all about margins. Trump will have a much more difficult time against Bernie Sanders running up the huge margins that he needs in the rural counties in order to overcome the expected margins of the Democratic candidate in the urban areas. It It is important to eat away, chip away at your opponent's strength. And this is why some Trump insiders say that he's actually worried about Bernie Sanders, because he knows that he, Trump, will not be able to run up those stunning margins in rural America that he ran up against Hillary Clinton. Uh, you, you, as I note, you you include several caveats uh, in your uh, in your piece, and 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 I know you like to sort of stay away from punditry, so we can't really tell. But you do note as one of your caveats that there are going to be uh, attacks against Bernie Sanders. It's something that Charlie Dent, an argument that he made, uh, that you know you're gonna they're gonna go after whether it's Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders. Oh, they are so far to the left they couldn't possibly win, and if either of them get the nomination, they are going to be mercilessly attacked. I think that is true. They're going to be mercilessly attacked as socialists or whatever, communists, Marxist, whatever they decide to use. I think that is true. They are going to be attacked in that way. But isn't that also true? Aren't they going to find the same horrible, terrible, no good uh, things to say against whether it's Pete Buttigieg or Joe Biden, et cetera, et cetera? Of course. When Bill Clinton ran the first time in 1992, Mm -hmm. and he was mercilessly attacked for his affair with Jennifer Flowers and for his alleged draft dodging, the press asked him what he thought about these Republican attacks, and he said, and I quote, that's what they know to do. Mm -hmm. This is how they run their campaigns. This is how the George H.W. Bush campaign was run against Mike Dukakis. I mean, this is a long-standing tradition in Republican presidential politics to attack or try to destroy your opponent. Mm-hmm. I mean, Nixon's people did this, too. This is what they know to do. So take your pick. Which three words do you want to hear Donald Trump say over and over again in the same sentence 10,000 times? Do you want to hear Biden, Ukraine, corrupt? Do you want to hear Bernie, crazy socialist? Do you want to hear Pocahontas, crazy <laughs> socialist? I don't even want to think about what he would say about Pete Buttigieg. I'm not going to go there. Right. Well, uh, okay, fair enough. And 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 I agree. I, I mean, whoever it is is going to be mercilessly attacked. That's the way Republicans roll. Um, so, but if it's a question between, uh, for example, Sanders and Biden, as many are sort of suggesting it could come down to, 
Head-to-head polling uh, shows, for example, both Biden and Sanders defeating Trump in a two-way race, though Biden does a better, uh, a bit better anyway than Sanders, and they both lo- in in the head-to-heads, and then they both lose to Trump if there is a third-party candidate in the contest. If I'm reading that correctly, yeah, that was a really interesting thing. There's a the real clear politics polling site RCP has polling averages, running averages of the most recent polls. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the polls they use for the polling averages for the head-to-head nationwide Mm matchups, you will see one poll conducted by USA Today that's an outlier, where the numbers for Trump are right in line with the numbers for the other polls they are using. But the numbers for the Democratic contenders are six, eight, ten, twelve points lower. Now, why would that be? Why are there really twenty percent of the electorate undecided in this polarized country? No. If you click on that poll and go to its page and see how they conducted the poll, which is what drilling down is all about, you will see that those polls included an unnamed third party candidate mm. who drew 9 to 11% of the vote, I believe it was, Mm -hmm. from the Democratic candidates. And so that... The lesson to this is that the most important thing that Democrats can do is to unite behind the winner Mm -hmm. and not split the opposition. Trump's best scenario is a third-party candidate on the left siphoning enough votes from whoever wins the Democratic nomination to throw the election to Trump. Richard Hayes Phillips, uh, very quickly, I got two more uh, points I want to hit you with. You uh, you look at the fact that the candidates, uh, after the nomination, uh, in both parties, tend to tack to the center. But you argue that Sanders would not have to do that. Why is that? And are you sure about that? I'm not sure of anything. <laughs> Good. I'm not a pundit. Right. My these these articles are specialized reporting. They are not op-ed pieces. Right. My training is in specialized reporting as an undergraduate, uh-huh. where you take your time, you wait for the story to settle out, and then write your factual article. Uh, In the primaries all over the country, Bernie Sanders carried the overwhelming majority of the counties in rural America. For instance, in West Virginia, he took every single county in the state against Hillary Clinton. He has strength in rural America. He will be able to win over some of Trump's base in those counties, and he did it in the primaries by running to the left of Hillary Clinton. (laughs) Rural America supported Sanders in the primaries knowing that he was to the left of Hillary Clinton. He did not tack to the center to win those counties, and I don't think he needs to do it in the general election. Sanders is a very different candidate. He took all but two counties in Oklahoma, if I recall correctly. And interestingly enough, when Oklahoma joined the Union, the Socialists were the number two party. 
<laughs> well, good point. I yeah, and you know I. I, I am always dubious, you know, as uh, you've been preparing this piece and I've been uh, editing on my side and questioning, I am always dubious about looking back and, uh, you know, wondering, are we comparing apples to oranges when we look at some of those numbers uh, from and 2016? That's why you're the best editor I've ever worked with. Well, Go on. thank you. But uh, I, so I, I, I don't want to, and I know you make uh, take pains to say, don't take too much from this because everything can change. But these are the numbers, at least, that we have, and they do suggest, anyway, that he is, uh, Bernie Sanders, uh, is anything but electable based on those numbers. But uh, why should... but unelectable. uh, Unelectable, you're right, thank you. But why should we take your analysis, what you did here, frankly, any more seriously than a pundit like, you know, former Congressman Charlie Dent, who is a Trump opponent, but who thinks that America would never elect a Sanders or a Warren. Because my numbers are, my work is based upon numbers and not opinion. These are not op-ed pieces. I went and crunched the numbers to see whether or not Sanders would be electable. And to go back to a question that you raised before, Mm -hmm. uh, I have, I keep track of the Real clear politics polling averages and head-to-head matchups in the battleground states for all four of the leading contenders, and color in my maps from 270 to win. So I and I change these every time there's a new poll. And as of yesterday, Joe Biden was leading in enough by six and a half percent in enough states to win the electoral college, and he was leading in enough states to take 368 electoral votes to 170 for Trump. It looks like Biden would be very difficult to beat. Sanders uh, is leading by 2.5% in enough states to take the Electoral College, and he is leading Trump in enough states to take 312 electoral votes to 197 for Trump, which is a substantial margin in mm-hmm. the Electoral College, and that's with Florida even Stephen. Gotcha. Sanders still wins 312 to 197 with Florida gray undecided on my map. So your argument... This could all change, yeah. but Sanders, as of today, is an electable candidate. So And Warren and Buttigieg are running about even in mm-hmm. these polls with Donald Trump. So you're not arguing, oh, Bernie is the most electable. You're no. just arguing he is not unelectable, as so many uh, would have us believe, even before any votes are cast in the Democratic primary election. So your advice then, uh, Richard Hayes Phillips, last question here, your advice to My advice uh, voters? My that Democrats should not be afraid of a spirited primary contest between two or more viable candidates. What they need to do as recent polling data also reveal, is to unite behind the ultimate winner. If your only concern is beating Donald Trump, then you might want to rally around Joe Biden. If you are seeking substantive change with a candidate who is likewise electable, you might (laughs) want to rally around Bernie Sanders, but you need to support whoever wins if you want, whoever wins the nomination if you want the Democratic Party nominee to beat Donald Trump. You can't just take your ball and go home and 
mopes because your candidate didn't get the nomination. That's what Trump wants you to do. Richard Hayes Phillips is an historian, election and fraud investigator, and of late a contributor to Bradblog.com, where he has written a statistical response to the charge that Bernie Sanders is unelectable. Uh, Richard, really appreciate you joining us today. Hope to talk to you again soon, sir. Yeah, thanks again for having me. Thank you. You're a hero. <laughs> okay, uh, I don't know about that, but, uh, <laughs> you know, as... as uh, I'm also, as I'm talking to Richard, I'm thinking Elizabeth Warren pointed out at the Des Moines Democratic debate recently that, you know, this America will never elect a fill in the blank argument is is pretty tired. We've we heard this, uh, she said, after, you know, that America would never elect a Catholic before they elected John Kennedy in 1962. Uh, or America would never elect an African-American before they elected Barack Obama in 2008 and 2012, or that America would never elect a woman before they, yes, uh, Hillary Clinton defeated Donald Trump by more than three million votes in the popular election in 2016. Um, but, you know, so they will say anything at this point to mess with your heads. Yeah. We, we won't. <laughs> this is true. And, you know, I think it's a really dangerous trap that I, I sense that a lot of people out there um, are considering who to vote for based on who they think other people might be willing to vote for in the general election. I think that's a very dangerous trap. I think it makes sense, as Richard Hayes Phillips says, just plan on voting and uniting behind whoever the Democratic nominee is in the general election. But, you know, vote who you want and vote who matches your values in the primary, because that's the last chance to do it. We had Jim Williams on a week ago on this show from uh, Public Policy Polling, who said exactly that same thing. It doesn't actually matter who the Democrats not uh, nominate ultimately as long as everyone who does not like Donald Trump votes for that person. So that may be a message you hear just a little bit between now and November. All right. Quick break. And we are back with. Uh, well, we'll see. I don't know where we're going from here. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter, and we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. But the on the hill sees the sun going down and the eyes in his head see the world spinning round so you know who our fool on the hill is today? No. That would be Kevin McCarthy, the House Minority Leader. Republican House yes, Minority Leader. I will get to him in a moment. Uh, Ernie Canning, our legal analyst uh, at Brandblog.com, writes in uh, regarding Richard uh, Hayes Phillips' piece today at Brandblog to say, I believe there are two important statistics that uh, Richard may have overlooked. One... Uh, he does not include the number of registered voters who were so turned off by the choice between Hillary Rodham Clinton and Donald J. Trump that they failed to vote altogether in 2016. Uh, they voted down ballot, apparently, but not for in the presidential race. Uh, he says Michael Moore uh, recently covered those numbers uh, in, as he saw them in Michigan uh, or the voters who voted third party which uh, Richard also just talked about a little bit there, uh, that voted for Jill Stein or Gary Johnson. 
Jill Stein, the Green Party candidate, Gary Johnson, the Libertarian Party candidate. Um, as well, he didn't count for a youth vote, 18 to 22, who would be newly registered voters who were too young to vote in 2016. But uh, as Ernie notes, a core argument being made by the Sanders surrogates is that his uh, grassroots campaign will energize many of the 2016 non-voters to turn out to vote for him in the general election. We will see if that is true. Uh, but that is certainly an argument that Sanders are making and uh, the Sanders team is making and uh, that it would certainly reduce the number who would otherwise vote for a Green Party candidate and potentially for a Libertarian candidate. And I think there is uh, numbers to back up that argument. Oh, definitely. Least. I think uh, at, at, at any stage, turning out non-voters, turning out the voters that are in your base and then also turning out people converting non-voters into voters and especially into dedicated voters who will come back again and again and again again, every two years to vote for Congress as well. I think that is where the Democratic Party and pretty much anybody who wishes for sane government again should be focusing their energies. Uh, and by the way, that's the secret weapon uh, that the uh, Donald Trump campaign has also referred to, that they are turning out people who have not voted before. In their case, it's turning out the racists and such but uh, who wouldn't normally vote, but that's what they're uh, that's what they're doing. All right, let's get to this fool on the hill, uh, Kevin McCarthy. Uh, this was actually from last Sunday, but speaking of the idea that they will say anything in 2020 to try to undermine whoever is the Democratic uh, uh, nominee, this was and try to divide the party. Don't fall for it, people. Don't fall for it, Bernie Sanders people. If Bernie doesn't end up winning, don't fall for what they're going to do. This was Kevin McCarthy on, uh, of course, Fox News on uh, Sunday with Marie Bartiromo, Maria whoever. Yeah. Um, and he uh, he cites the uh, Democratic National Convention chair. The DNC chair back in 2016, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who had to resign the night before the 2016 nomination uh, convention began because they had come out with these uh, stolen emails to try to make her look bad, try to make it look like the DNC was had their thumb on the scale for uh, Hillary Clinton, all of that. And now he claims that the Democrats are doing the exact same thing. How are they doing it? Well, again, this was uh, Sunday, and this it, this time it's Nancy Pelosi who is the villain, according to Kevin McCarthy. Pretty little secret that nobody is talking about why the speaker held these papers. Remember what happened in the last nomination process, where the DNC chairman, Debbie Washerman Schultz, had to resign the night before the nomination convention started because they had found out they had cheated Senator Bernie Sanders from the opportunity to become the nominee. They are doing the exact same thing right now. The Iowa caucus is on February 3rd. Bernie Sanders is in first place. And what this does is this benefits Joe Biden. This harms Senator Sanders, who, who is in first place and could become their nominee because he will be stuck in a chair because Nancy Pelosi held the papers different than what she said to the American public why she had to move so urgently. So you think that it's by design that Nancy Pelosi is sending the articles now, slow walking, really slow walking the impeachment trial to have those senators in the room. I mean, that's collusion. That's obstruction. <laughs> Once again, keeping Bernie Sanders at bay and clearing the decks for Joe Biden. Is that what you're saying? That's exactly what I'm saying. That's exactly what he's saying. And that's exactly what he was able to uh, count on 
the Fox News host Maria Bartiromo in repeating, that's why Nancy Pelosi has been holding up the impeachment articles uh, to hurt Bernie Sanders. Duh. Of course, because Clearly. Republicans care about that sort of thing. They're they very really worried. They want you to yeah. know about this. Yeah, they, they, uh, they don't want to see uh, any of this, what did you call it, collusion yeah. and obstruction? <laughs> well, yeah. I, what it has to do with collusion and obstruction, I don't know. But they don't want to see that hurt poor Bernie Sanders. You know Kevin McCarthy is worried about Bernie getting a fair shake in these primaries. That's all he's caring about. And God forbid that Nancy Pelosi, the Democrat, the establishment Democrat, comes in and tries to undermine Bernie by holding up the impeachment articles to try to hurt him. They really will say they anything. They will say <laughs> anything and they had straight faces and Bartiromo who by the way used to be didn't she used to be like a legitimate reporter she a, did. a financial reporter she or used something to be, back when she started out Jesus what happened to her they're all in the cult they are all in all of the sane people remember what Lou Dobbs used to be sane he actually used to worry about voting systems he was very good on that in yeah. fact yeah he was and he's completely lost his mind to the cult of Trump this is true Unbelievable. So uh, anyway, that was last Sunday. The articles have now been sent. So presumably now uh, it has it's either hurt Bernie or will hurt Bernie or uh, you cannot make a logic out of a delusional concept. Sorry, there is no logic to it. But I will say now you tell me (laughs) that's what I do every day here on the show. Yeah, (laughs) but I will say that uh, that that um, the the biggest theme I think of today's show is the world is run by those who show up. So Mm. please show up. Show up to vote. Show up to engage your politicians. Show up to engage your elected officials. Show up, please, and to make sure that sanity reigns. And don't believe anyone who tells you they know what they're talking about. Find out for yourself. Decide for yourself. Think for yourself. Whatever that means. No, we're not saying Bernie Sanders is the best candidate, but this notion that he's unelectable. Nonsense. Horse hockey. All right. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, Richard Hayes Phillips, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is always appreciated. Uh, If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, you can download it anytime at bradblog.com. We do thank those of you who help support our work, and we do really need your help to try to get through this election year. Uh, and stay on your public airwaves by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate uh, for a one-time donation or uh, sign up for a uh, for monthly support of any amount you like. We're coming up on our 16th anniversary at Bradblog, so, you know, $16 a month. That sounds like a bargain. We'll take it. Uh, thank you. You can drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com, and on the Facebooks and the Twitters, you will find me simply at the brad blog that is it until we meet again i'm brad friedman good luck world